And we are continuing to look through the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be in chapter 6. And the title, the subtitle today of the message is The Lamb Breaks the Seals. And we've called this message uh, the series I Am Revealed because we're seeing Jesus Christ is the same God as the I Am of the Old Testament. And so throughout this book we are... Uh, applying what it says from the beginning that we must read it, we must hear it, and we must do what the book says. And so uh, in, in that spirit, we will be listening together as you turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to be listening to the chapter as it is read out to us, and then we will have a prayer together. So let's turn to the Word as we listen. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come, and see And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and see another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was dreadful to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And it was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, and see. So I looked. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil in the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, and and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When we opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, earthquake, and the sun became black as set cloth of air, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when they're shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, Every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, 
fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come today to the point in your revelation when we begin to see the seals being broken. We begin to see the end starting to unfold. And it is a day of wrath and judgment on this earth. Let us be reminded today, God, first and foremost, that you have overcome the world. Let us remember that you are the Lamb who was slain, and you are worthy to open the scroll because of what you have done for your people. But God, let us also remember that the wrath needs to come because of sin on this earth. That each one of us, human beings, we've all had a piece in the part of the sin on this planet. We are all personally responsible for the wrath to come. And this is why it's such tremendous grace that we are saved to begin with. That we're offered salvation by your blood. So Lord, please give us your Holy Spirit to help us to interpret your word today. Let this be your message to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. The first section we're going to look at today is Riders Are Released. The Riders Are Released Onto the Earth. Verse 1 says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And so when many of us think about the Revelation, even the word itself means apocalypse. Um, apocalypse, we think of that word as just destruction and everything else, but as we've said, apocalypse means reveal. It means an unveiling, something to be uncovered for us. And so when many people think of the Revelation, they would rather just start right here, just get to the point when things start going crazy. But that's not how God wrote this book. That's not how God inspired this book. Instead, we have these five chapters that we've gone through. And what have we seen so far? Jesus is Yahweh God, the great I Am of the Bible. We've seen that He's the head of the church. That born again believers who repent and put their faith in Him can trust their soul and their salvation in the mighty hands of Jesus Christ and that we are sealed by that salvation. We've seen Jesus on the throne We've seen Jesus shining brightly in the throne room of God in heaven because He is God and He's worthy to take the scroll. These aspects of John's vision are absolutely essential to our interpretation and application of what we hear today. In other words, God didn't just write the book and start showing, hey, here's fire and here's brimstone. He didn't write it that way. He's, he spent five chapters just saying, look, at who your God is. Look at who Jesus actually is. Because you're going to need to hold on to that. And I'm going to need to hold on to that as we start looking through these next chapters. 
But it says, I saw the Lamb and I heard one of the four living creatures. And we see the connection between the act of the Lamb, which is Jesus. He opens this first seal of the scroll and then the immediate response from that first living creature. It says, come and see. And he has a voice that says, spoken like thunder. The other night we were sitting in our screened-in deck, and I'm very thankful for the trustees and for so many of the deacons that helped out getting that deep, uh, that, that screen um, on our patio and on our deck. But we're sitting out there, and it was storming at night, and, and the thunder and lightning was, was booming all around, and you could see like Cecil County, this, you know, this wide view, and you just saw lightning, and, and you could hear the thunder and it would be this booming sound, and we'd all be shocked, and then all of a sudden you would hear that rolling thunder going across the sky. So when John says he, he spoke, and it was like thunder. It's a booming sound, and then a rolling that resonated across the skies as John is listening to what's going to happen. This startling effect was because of what was happening with the opening of this first scene. Come and see. The living creature said, draw near and watch with understanding. So then we get to verse 2. I looked and behold, the white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So we see, as soon as John is told, come and see, he's also obedient. So Christ opens the seal, the living creature is immediately obedient, and, and he tells John, come and see, and then John is immediately obedient. Behold, stop, take notice, there's a white horse. And it's at this point in this message that we're going to open up the legend or the key just like a map would have and say, okay, there's something that's going to help us because otherwise we would be lost. We need something to help us to interpret this passage. And wouldn't you know that God in His sovereignty spoke right through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God Almighty in the flesh, and He gives us the legend. He gives us the key to interpreting this entire passage. It's in Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to see that verse for verse, seal for seal, line for line, Jesus already told us what is going to happen. And so I want you to keep, if you have your bulletin there, you can have one page there in Matthew 24, and you can have the other page there in Revelation chapter 6, because you're going to see, wow, Jesus already said exactly what we're reading today. So Jesus is answering two very specific questions from his disciples. And we begin here in Matthew 24, verses 3 through 5. Because the tool we need today for Revelation is the Word of God. And that is where we turn. So verse 3 here. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? These two questions. They're hearing about the end of the world. saying, when's it going to happen? And then what's going to be the sign of your coming? How are we going to know it's the end of the age and not just something that happens all the time. So Jesus answers and he says to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So there's two major takeaways that we have here at the beginning of the breaking of this first seal. That's exactly what we're seeing. The first major takeaway is that Jesus, the first thing he says, you want to know what you need to know? Don't be deceived. 
We must be watchful so that we are not lied to. And second, the way in which the deception is going to present itself is in the form of false Christ. False Messiahs. That's what Christ means. Messiahs. Anointed ones. And we need to mark Jesus' words because he says they will deceive many. He doesn't say there's a possibility. He doesn't say there's some people and, and you could or you might. They will deceive many. You know what that means? It's going to be very, very tempting to believe what these people are telling us. So the first seal being opened up, we go back to Revelation. So what does it have to do with the seal? It says there's a rider on a white horse. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like Jesus in chapter 19, verse 11. Look what it says. I saw heaven open up. This is Revelation 19. Behold, a white horse. Heaven opens. A white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe. Here it is, dipped in blood. Who is this? This is Jesus. His name is called the Word of God. That's, that's the true rider on the white horse. Notice the difference. Jesus is true. He's righteous. He has many crowns of himself. His robe is dipped in blood. He's the Word of God. The false Christ back in Revelation 6, he's got a bow in his hand. He's got a crown that's been given to him. This bow and no arrows might speak of the idea that he goes out with the idea, oh, I'm going to be peaceful. I'm just here to make peace with the world and I want things to be good. But he's got a bow in his hand. His real motive is not going to be hidden from our God. False messiahs will come into the world and especially the Antichrist will come into the world and they will desire power and they will be ready to destroy and to kill. You know, Jesus saved all of humanity without slapping a single person on the face. The false Messiah will come in and say, no, 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 you need physical power if you want to show that you've got authority. So whereas the true Messiah is the almighty God of heaven, the first seal is the advent of a wave of deception with a convincing declaration of people saying, oh, I am the Christ. Verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. The second seal is opened by the Lamb when he opened it. A reminder that all of this will unfold at the authority of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Every bit of it he will have the timing. The second living creature says, come and see. John obediently watches. Another horse, verse 4, fiery red went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. The first horse is white, the second horse is fiery red. The, the first horse comes out peaceful, hey, I'm white, I'm, I'm here to help, here to help. And all of a sudden, kind of like the paint washing off of a horse, it's red. It's heated, it's angry. Here's the real intentions all along. We notice the power granted to him because all things are under the control and power of Yahweh our God. And he begins to take peace from the earth. And we may be tempted today to sit here and say, what peace are you talking about? 
What peace on earth do we see today? Our answer is found by relating it to Scripture because what it says, when this seal is broken, it says peace is taken away. People are going to start killing each other. Ask yourself, are you worried about your neighbor just walking into your house and killing you? Honestly, it can happen. But I don't see anybody going to Dollar General looking over their back, grabbing bread very carefully because the cashier might have a, a butcher knife behind them. That's not happening. Even the crazy regimes of the world, Russia and North Korea, even they are sweeping across the world trying to just go around killing people. That's not happening. When this seal is broken, the general civility that we experience right now will be removed. People will begin to just slaughter each other. We get glimpses of it in the news sometimes. If somebody came in, their whole family, they murdered them, they go into schools. We see things like, we say, that's atrocious. What if that was the norm? This seal will look something like that. Peace will be removed. And the second writer is given a great sword. Jesus says this exactly in Matthew 24, verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So even if it's all these people dying, I mean, we're going to see wars like we've never seen. Even in the middle of wars, you're going to be like, wow, we're being attacked, and I think that this other nation's coming in. I think they want to attack us. I hear Iran's going up. We're going to, in the middle of war, we're going to hear more wars. And Jesus actually says, even during this time, he says, but the end is not yet. He hasn't come back yet. The Lamb hasn't appeared to bring His entire wrath onto the world. He says, that hasn't happened yet. Verse 5, we continue. He opened the third seal, and I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. So the Lamb opens that third seal. The third living creature. We see there's a living creature attached to each seal as they're saying these things. Come and see. And we see the immediate obedience of John every time. I looked and behold. And so as we figure out what are we going to be expecting from this seal, we go to Matthew 24 again, we look at verse 7. What should we expect here? Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. This is going to be a global unrest. Not only will the nations be fighting against each other, but we're going to begin to see the earth is going to start quaking and cracking. The economy is going to start going into the pits. That's famines, pestilences. This third seal releases a black horse, and its rider has a pair of scales in his hands for measuring. Revelation 6, what's he going to measure? I heard a voice in the midst of four living creatures. A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. We see the scales then are for the measuring of food, commodities in the world. And the measurement is telling. Because this one denarius is, is worth one day's wages. Matthew 20, verse 2, Jesus tells a parable. He gives us the interpretation. How much is a denarius worth? He gives us the interpretation. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. So, you're working a full day in order to get a quart. This is a full day's work for 
barely enough for a full day of food. Today's minimum wage here in Maryland is $10.10. You can imagine a full day's work, about $80. Imagine you're getting about $80 a day, and you're having to go and you're having to spend every bit of that $80 just to get the bare essentials of what's going to feed your house. This means that for those who are working, they're barely going to be able to provide for their families. Because clearly, this is going to be an economic crisis, severe drought, when people are killing each other and nations are going to war against each other, you can imagine the economy is going to go in the pits. So even for people who are working, who are making money, every bit of it is going to go to survival. And when people begin to just think about survival, evil begins to creep to the surface. Because we show who we really are. We are just sinners, saved by grace. We can pretend to be civil. We can pretend to be nice. We can pretend to be something that we're not. But this is the way it is. That's why it says, don't harm the oil and the wine. Those are incredibly expensive commodities in a climate like this. Nothing could be wasted if it's of extreme value. So when the world's unable to work and eat, or to put it more properly, when the entire world becomes a third world, we will know one truth. Matthew 24, verse 8. These are the beginning of sorrows, Jesus says. When it gets to this point across the planet, this is now you're going to start to see sorrow. You're going to begin to see Jesus is going to be coming soon. Literally that word sorrow is birthing pains. It's going to start getting compressed. It's easy to look at a nation across the ocean and say, yeah, it's a third world nation. We, we should help them. But when this comes to our house and the water is shut off, the electric company doesn't exist because it was blown up, and we're now reading our Bible by candlelight, it'll hit on. It'll become real. The world will be contracting with the tension that judgment is coming. Concluding point number one, riders are released. Don't be deceived. That's not Jesus. In other words, all these false Christs are going to come on the earth. They're going to say, I've got a solution. I'm the Messiah. I've got this worked out. I'm going to help. I've got peace. That's not Christ. That's not Jesus. Section number two, souls are slain. Now when I get into the section, I want to remind the congregation... I want to remind all of us as the people of God, I'm preaching this according to the interpretation that I believe God has led me to. At no point and in no fashion should this be something that we are divided over. In other words, you may have a completely different interpretation of how you see these seals, and that's perfectly okay. Is Jesus God in the flesh? Did he die on the cross? Did he resurrect from the grave three days later? Can we put our faith in him and go to heaven because he has sealed us by his blood? Yes. Could these seals be something completely different from what I'm saying today? Yes. I'm saying this because we are required by God to study His Word and to seek His interpretation. So if you disagree, I'd love to talk about it. We can sit down and talk. And this is something we can agree to disagree on. This is not something that you say, Ah, I've heard a message and I'm never coming back there because they think the seals this. I'm saying this for this particular part. Because the way I'm going to preach it is that you and I don't exit the earth before the tribulation. I don't see any evidence of it in Scripture. 
I don't see any pattern of that in the Bible. Noah went through the flood. The Israelites went through the, the waters of the Red Sea. And so on and so on and so on. They were in the fiery furnace. Um, they were there. They had to go through it. But God brought them through it. So I'm just letting you know. I'm going to be preaching this. There is no pre-tribulation rapture as I see it in Scripture. We go through the worst of it. We go through the bad part. Alright. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come and see. Souls are slain in this section. He opens the fourth seal, he gives the command, the fourth living creature, and this should cause us to consider why is this the final living creature? So there's four living creatures, we're told, surround the throne. We've seen that in the previous verses and chapters. Four living creatures, we're now at the fourth seal. We know there's seven seals. Why is this the completion of the four living creatures around the throne? Some aspect of this scroll, this seal, is something is going to be complete. Come and see, they say. So let's read. Verse 8, So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. Power was given to him, to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, with hunger and death, and by the beasts of the earth. The fourth horse is pale, literally green, like a sickness. The rider is Death, and Hades is with him. Hades is the same New Testament wording for the Old Testament concept of Sheol. It's the place of the dead where everybody goes when they die. This is not specifically talking about hell. That's going to be later in the Revelation. Not today. But the idea is this is death. The place of the dead. This death is going to be sweeping through and it's going to make the world sick. So this imagery cannot be ignored. The fourth seal is going to bring death across the planet, which is why Jesus says in Matthew this is just the beginning of sorrows. Think famine's bad, think pestilence is bad, war is bad. He describes it in Matthew 24 this way, verses 9 through 14. Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and become lawless. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Notice those final words of Jesus. Then the end will come. The end does not come until after we see a myriad of saints being delivered up to tribulation. They will deliver you. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the church. They will deliver you up to the tribulation to kill you. Jesus describes a world where people are turning on each other because of what they believe. He said they're going to be offended. They're going to betray one another. This is where we're going to find out. Do we really believe in Jesus or do we not? Do we come and say, oh, I worship Jesus, but somebody's got a knife to our neck and a sword to our throat, a bullet to our chest, and they say, do you really believe? And we will either say, I believe, and we will die, or we'll say, you know what? Now, but, but my neighbor is, come on, let's, let's go get them. They will deny Jesus before men, and Jesus says he will deny them before his heavenly father. 
During this time, being a Christian will be deadly as the world turns a very cold shoulder on all of us. It says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for those who don't endure to the end? It means they are lost. So what does this writer have beside him? It's got death and he's got Hades, the place of the dead. And he's going to have power and authority to take a fourth of the earth and place them in the grave. There's about 7 billion human souls on the earth right now. If this were to happen right now, that would be 1.75 billion people in the grave. And the writer is going to use anything he wants. Sword, hunger, death. It even says wild beasts, wild animals. And this word beast in the rest of the Revelation is referring to the beast, the Antichrist, and the power of Satan. But this passage particularly resolves itself with Ezekiel 14.21. Thus says uh, Adonai Yahweh, or Lord God, How much more shall it be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and wild beast and pestilence, to cut off man and beast from it? So definitely it's going to be the work of evil, but I don't believe it's just the beast himself. I think there's literally going to be animals, like from the jungle, and from the plains who are going to be eating people and attacking us in a way that does not make sense. And interestingly, after this time of death and Hades, Jesus then gives us a time stamp in the chronology. This helps us to understand what's going on, what's happening. Matthew 24, 15 to 20. These are very next verses in Matthew 24. He says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Standing in the holy place. He says, look, whoever reads, let him understand. It's John's word. And then it gets back to Jesus. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Now this is critically important. Because right in the middle of all these things going on, Jesus gives us a chronology timestamp. And he says, look, go to Daniel. You want to see where we're at? He says, go to Daniel. Chapter 9, verse 26 to 27 is what it says. After 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a flood. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. And then he shall confirm a covenant for many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Abomination that causes desolation spoken of in Daniel. Even until the consummation, the end, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So you say, I don't see a time stamp. Daniel's prophecy tells us after Jesus, the Messiah, is cut off. Okay, so he died on the cross, resurrected. He said there's going to be a destruction of Jerusalem. The temple is going to be destroyed. We know that was fulfilled in A.D. 70. He says after that, there's going to be this extended period of time with war and desolations. And then he says until the end. Then he says that prince of the one who is to come, this Antichrist is going to make a covenant with many for one week. And Daniel teaches us that the week is really years. It's, it's a week, seven period of years. Now we can understand from Revelation what does the number seven mean? It means a completion. So it could be seven literal years. That's the way I understand it. There could be a completion of years. A determined amount of time. 
But either way, whenever this time is, Jesus gives us the stamp. It's in the middle. I believe, we're talking about seven years, and when we see this abomination of desolation, somebody standing in the temple of Yahweh, claiming to be Yahweh God, that's the middle. Because it says, in the middle of it, the week of years, it's three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So how can this happen if the temple has already been destroyed? Right? So Daniel says, it's going to be destroyed for a period of time. And then all of a sudden you've got the Antichrist standing in the temple. Well, there's going to be another temple built. That's why we've talked about that as well. And on the wing of abomination, one who makes desolate, he's going to stand in that temple, declare himself to be Yahweh. And when that happens, the whole world will know it. When the temple is going to be rebuilt, it's going to be magnificent. The world will look at that temple and the whole world's going to flock to it. Jews, Christians, Muslims, everyone's going to go to this temple. And the world's going to be watching what happens. And when this Antichrist walks in there, and instead of sacrificing, he puts an end to sacrifices, and he makes himself to be the one true God, the whole world will see it. And Jesus says, therefore, when you see this, run away. Go into hiding. The end is coming. Revelation 6, verse 9, he opened the fifth seal. And I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So what was those four living creatures? said so there's four, there's a completion of something. It's a completion of the beginning of sorrows. It's, that's done now. The, the compression, we're about to have a baby, something big's about to happen. When we see the abomination causes desolation standing in the temple... It's the end of the beginning of things. Now, this is the fifth seal. There's no rider. There's just an altar that John's looking at in heaven. This altar where the sacrifices would be made, and he's seeing the blood of the souls of those who've been slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they had. These are martyrs. Again, there's no room for, to me, there's no room for any other interpretation. If we're dying in the tribulation, that means we're still here. The seal is describing a massacre of the saints of Christ. Matthew 24 says this, 21 to 22. Then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, the elect is the church, those days will be shortened. That means we're what? We're still there. When all this is going on, we're still there. We're still dying. We're still being killed. The blood is still going up. Literally, John is seeing the fifth seal. He's well into this tribulation. He sees the fifth seal. There's no rider. There's no destruction. He's just seeing. He's just seeing in heaven. He's not even seeing what's happening on earth. All he's seeing is the blood of you and I being poured out in an altar in heaven of the souls of the saints being massacred. This is why I started this message saying we need to remember the first five chapters of Revelation. Jesus would not give us five chapters saying, look, I'm telling you, it's going to be hard, but if you want to endure, you're going to have to trust in me. He's saying, look, I know it's going to be difficult, but you have to believe I am the I am of the Old Testament. Hold on to me. Hold on to who I am. Put your faith in me. Trust in me. 
Because when this stuff starts happening, it's going to be real tempting to say, where's the God I put my faith in? He wouldn't give us five chapters of warnings if there wasn't a whole lot that we were going to have to endure ahead. He was worthy to take the scroll. We weren't. He's worthy to break the seals. We aren't. It's easier to look at the world and say, well, now that I'm saved, I hope, I hope they get through this. It's a lot harder to realize, wait, I'm going to have to walk with them. Yeah, you know why? Because they still need to hear the gospel. Amen. When the world's falling apart around us and Jesus has said, remember, I am the Lord. I can save. And we're seeing people die, our brothers and sisters die. We need to look to our lost people around us and say, I'm telling you, it's time to repent. And we get the gospel out. Because you and I are going to be protected for all of eternity. And the lost people are Verse 10, they cried in a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So clearly, they're in heaven, and it's the day that we're talking about are the martyrs. They've been dying during the tribulation. They, they've been dying because the Antichrist is pouring out this crazy wrath on all the believers. This abomination that causes desolation is happening in the temple. They saw it, they watched it, and the fifth seal comes, and now they're just dying like crazy. Christians are dying. And so they cry out, it says with a loud voice, How long, God? They're saying this to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a cry of doubt or disbelief, it's a lament. Because they will have just left a planet that they're watching fall apart around them. Christians are dying everywhere. They're looking at Jesus saying, How long? How long is this going to last? But the saints call him. Look at what they say. They call to the one holy and true. This isn't doubt. They're saying, you're holy, God. You're, you're set apart. You're, you're trustworthy. They know the day the Lord's coming. And they say, look, how long is it going to be until you judge and avenge our blood? And the answer is given in verse 11. A white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. This is the way God answers their question. How long? The first thing he does is he gives them a robe. In other words, don't forget. I know you think it's a long time. Here's a robe. You've been clothed. You are pure. You are righteous. You're safe. And then he says, why don't you rest a little longer? wait. And he says, because you've got servants and brothers who are going to complete this martyrdom. So what's still going to be going on? Saints on earth will be dying as they share the gospel, producing more fruit for the kingdom of God. So in light of such a great tribulation against God's church, we see what Jesus warns next. Matthew 24, 23-28. He says, then, right, after all this is going on, then if anyone asks you, hey, look, here's the Christ, or they say, oh, there he is, he says, don't believe it. Because, right, if we're seeing the fifth seal, abomination caused desolation, Christians are dying everywhere, what are we going to be waiting for? Okay, Jesus is coming. It's gonna, like, this has to be right around the corner. And he's saying, people are going to say, look, there he is, there's the Christ. He says, false Christ, false prophets are going to rise and show great signs and wonders. They're going to be performing miracles now. 
And it says to deceive, if possible, even the elect, the church. He says, see, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out there. Or look, he's in the inner room, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles or the vultures will be gathered together. Signs and wonders from false Christs and false prophets could possibly fool even the church at that time. But we will know when Jesus comes back, just as we heard, it will be unmistakable. But also, Jesus' final words here are unmistakable. Wherever the carcass is, there the eagles or vultures will be gathered. In other words, as death and the blood of the saints is being poured out across the world and in the streets and in the homes, the vultures will gather. Evil will rise up. It's kind of like a mob mentality. You ever see a city, they get a championship or something, they go out in the streets and they're partying, then you wait a little longer, and somebody breaks a window, and everybody's like, oh, that's not right. And then a few more windows break, then a car catches on fire, and then what do you see the whole city doing? Jumping on cars and running around with TVs and radio. What happened? What happened? Nobody went around selling gift cards for evil. It was already in them. They just needed to feel that it was going to be okay. The vultures were, will gather at the carcass. When they start seeing death everywhere, they're going to say, oh, I can be evil. I can do whatever I want. Okay. Here we go. Even still, the martyrs in heaven are told to wait because more gospel preaching is needed before Jesus brings his full judgment. Concluding point number two, souls are slain, but don't be dismayed. It's not over yet. Souls are slain, don't be dismayed. It's not over. The final section today, people are panicked. People are panicked. Verses 12 through 17. Verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there's a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. He opens that sixth seal. Behold, look with intention at great earthquake. Many references to earthquakes in the scriptures. This earthquake is going to be special. There will be a bigger one perhaps later. But in Ezekiel 38, 19, it says, In my jealousy and the fire of my wrath, I have spoken surely in that day, the day of the Lord, there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. And then we get to a very well-known idea about the end of the age. The sun turns black, the moon turns like blood. Now, we are on right now, we're on the heels of some pretty spectacular events in the sky. Some eclipses, some blood moons, and things like that. It is nothing compared to what God's going to do on this day. Matthew 24, the first part of verse 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. It will turn blood red. Now, we say that Matthew 24 is the legend, right? It's the key. Because Jesus uses chronology terms as he goes through the whole chapter. He says this will happen, and then this will happen, and then this will happen, and then this. Revelation, we're going to see Revelation is not chronological the whole time. We're going to see, like, it tells a story, and then it, like, rewinds. tells a story, and then rewinds. It's like the four Gospels. He doesn't just tell us once. He's like, here's, here's the gospel. And then what do you get when you get to the end of Matthew? 
If you were to think it's chronological, you'd be like, wait, Jesus was born again? No. No, it's just going back. It's telling the story from a different perspective. Hey, this is what it's going to look like from this perspective. If you're saved, this is what the seals are going to look like. We're going to see. If you're lost, this is what this is going to look like. Different perspectives. So the blackening of the sun and moon are going to happen immediately after the tribulation. The, well, what, what tribulation of those days? That fifth seal. Christians dying everywhere. Martyrs saying, when is it going to happen? When is it going to come? Jesus, hold on. And then there will be a completion. That final saint is born again. They breathe their last breath. <clears throat> then, verse 13, the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. He says, this whole event, I mean, we can't even imagine the sun just turning black. We can't imagine this, the moon, when the sun's black, the moon turning blood red. Everybody talks about, oh, these are blood moons. It's, no, the sun is still shining. That's not a blood moon yet. Blood moon will be when the sun's black. That doesn't happen. The whole reason the moon's blood red is because of the sun, usually. When the sun turns black and it goes out, first of all, and we don't just immediately lose all sense of everything, heat and all that. The earth is still going to continue to, to be held by Jesus. The sun's going to turn black and we're going to look at the moon and it's going to go blood red. Not an orangey, and that kind of looks like, no, it'll be blood red. Then it says the whole sky is going to be like a tree that's shaken so violently that the fruit can't cling to the branches anymore. God's going to take the sky of the universe and shake it with his hands and stars are going to fall. This will be terrifying. Not only will the earth below us be quaking, but we're going to look at the sky and there will be like an earthquake in the heavens. It's going to shake the laws of physics so powerfully that it will seem as though all those laws are now broken. It's going to be like the cosmos has come down with a chaotic case of vertigo. And yet this will not be random chance or unintelligent, unguided processes. This will be Jesus taking his creation and revealing it's in his hands to do with it what he wants. He's the lawmaker. In that second half of Matthew 24, verse 29, he says, The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. The powers of the heavens. The forces that control everything will not do what we have said they have to do. What do I mean by that? I mean, we've got all these theories and all these ideas of what the universe has to follow. There's this dramatic attempt, I don't know if you know this, there's a dramatic attempt right now in the scientific community to come up with an inclusive theory that incorporates all the natural fields and forces of nature. This is what one uh, magazine said, Science Magazine. The unified field theory is sometimes called the theory of everything. It, it says TOE for short, T-O-E for short, which I think is funny. The theory of everything is going to be about as valuable as our pinky toe, that's what I think. The long-sought means of tying together all known phenomena to explain the nature and behavior of all matter and energy in existence. That's what they're looking for. One theory that explains everything. Now, it's, there's one person named Mikio Katsu. It's a theoretical physicist at the City College of City, University of New York. And this is what they say. They're pursuing this theory. This is what they say. 
It's an equation an inch long that would allow us to read the mind of God. <laughs> Isn't that tragic? These people are spending their entire lifetime seeking an equation to attempt to read the mind of God, and yet the one book they're going to reject outright actually has the mind of God already written down the Holy Bible. And when they read this Holy Bible, they might not find an equation an inch long, but they'll find a verse an inch long. It's all they need. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Go ahead and make your equations. Write down your postulates. Figure out your theories. Put all your faith in this natural order, and then watch when Jesus takes it like a snow globe. Think about that. Factor that in. It's a variable. Verse 14, the sky receded as a scroll and it's rolled up. Every mountain and island is moved out of its place. So just a question for us this morning, is this verse possible if there's no God? No, it's not. Is it possible for the sky to roll up like a scroll and every single mountain and island just shifting across the planet? It's not possible. It's impossible. It's also impossible for a man named John, 2,000 years ago, sitting on an island, to know that this is exactly what's going to happen. Impossible. If there is no God. But when, not if, when this occurs, we will have no reason to put our faith in Mother Nature. She will have failed us. She will have lied to us by telling us that she was our mother in the first place. We don't have a mother, we have a father in heaven. Friend, we are not the product of chemistry, time, and chance. You are a specially created being in the image of God. Formed by His hands and too valuable to believe any lies about your identity. God came and He bled and He died. Every, every single person who will put their faith in Him. He resurrected from the grave so that when we put our faith in Him, we can spend eternity with Him in heaven after all this physical stuff passes away. Verse 15, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. So as the sky is going crazy, as the earth is falling apart, people from every social economic status, it won't matter how much political power, financial power, military prowess, physical well-being and strength, free or slave, everyone is going to revert to hiding in caves and mountains. Because the fear will be universal. We can't throw our stocks and bonds in retirement at a black sun and make it burst into flames again. We can't put our titles or our positions and our job, our, our intentions for growth and authority, we can't throw that at the sky when it's scrolling away and have it come back. There will be so much fear 
because the things we put our faith in have now been proven, as Jesus always said they were, to be destructive. The world will be filled with people who become bloodthirsty against the followers of Christ, and to their great surprise and terrible dismay, the events of the Bible will begin to play out like clockwork right in front of them, and they will run the caves. Verse 16, they say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from that face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They speak of the same crying out when Jesus was on the cross. Jesus spoke about this same period of time as he was heading towards the cross. Luke 23, verse 30, they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills cover us. Jesus knew on this planet, he's like, I'm going to the cross, this is what's going to happen, and this is what people are going to do. Here in Revelation, we learn the reason why they're hiding. He doesn't really tell us why they're hiding there. We see it now. They're going to want mountains to crush their bodies because they want to hide their face from the one who sits on the throne. They're going to be afraid of being held accountable to God. As if like a little kid, you know, a little kid will hide their face and they think you can't see them. Well, maybe if I get away from God's face, maybe, maybe I don't have to be accountable for my sin. And the wrath of the Lamb. They're going to be terrified of the judgment that they deserve, that we all deserve, from the Savior of God's people. They're going to be terrified. The final verse today, verse 17, For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? This quote is a continuation of what they were saying in the previous verse. The day of the Lord has come. This is it. It's a great day because it's powerful and it's monumental. But it is an occasion for wrath. They say, who's able to stand? Put it into perspective. Jesus is moving the stars out of the way. He's taking the reality of physical reality and scrolling it away and, and parting it. He is now about to enter into the physical reality from heaven. He says he's going to come on the clouds. Everyone's going to see him. He's literally parting the seas as he's about to walk up into our existence to display his coming in the full glory of the whole world to see. There will be no doubt when he comes at that point, there will be no doubt what's true and what's false. There will be no second guessing if you and I were created in his image or if we're just chimpanzees figuring things out on our own. There will be no wondering about who's been breathing life into us as we breathe life out. And perhaps most heartbreaking and heart-wrenching for anybody on the earth at that time, every soul will understand that that's the same Jesus who said he died for us. And all we had to do was put our faith in him. And we rejected him, and we ignored him. And I say it's heart-wrenching because they're going to see it and they're going to say, this is real. I chose my pride over truth and now I'm going to have to pay for it. And every soul, now if nothing else sticks today, every soul is going to realize Jesus has been very patient indeed. We say, where's God? Why is He here? Why is He doing what, what, what we want Him to? And we look at his heart in heaven when he responded to the martyrs. He says, no, 
There's more people that need to get saved. There's still more wheat among the weeds. And every soul will know He gave us 2,000 plus years to repent. And I chose to do nothing. Their final question, who's able to stand? Obviously it's nobody. Nobody can stand on that day. This is why today we preach the revelation. Because who is able to be saved right now? Everybody. And that includes you. Concluding point number three. People are panicked, but don't be dumbfounded. Sin's not sustainable. In other words, don't put your faith and trust in sin. That's not going to last. Don't hope that you're going to be good enough and you're going to make it. We can't. No one can stand. 